Hello and welcome to another edition of the Talking Basketball Podcast. I am Mark. And for the second time, I am Paul. And why is it the second time, Paul? Because this guy who we're about to interview, he needs <laughs> the best intro that I can do. And I buggered the last one up. So wow. we had to re-record. That is, that well, is why. I think it goes without saying that you had a hit list and you had a top four people that you wanted to get on the show. And this is another one off the list. This is another one off the list. We had a top top four. Adam was on the list, Adam Riabi. And uh yeah, he's now stricken is... off the list. It looks like a bit like a wanted list, like as if we were stalkers or something, but this is another one off the list. Former Solent Star, former Portsmouth FC basketball club. I'm gonna go straight into it. Yeah, yeah. now stand and cheer. Yeah, guard slash small forward. At number five, Jason Colgan. That's why we did it again. Jason, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. the invite. Well, for for those there's a lot of people have been waiting for this one in particular i've been telling people that you know we got jason coming on and um for those who aren't aware of jason jason was part of that portsmouth fc basketball club team yep. that uh, inspired a generation of basketball i'm going to say it how we would say it they yeah, inspired it is, yeah. a generation 100%. who then went into coaching and playing and without that team with Jason on it, I don't think you have the ports for force. You don't have the ports of fury. No, I don't think you have this podcast. If I'm honest with you, no, don't have smugglers. Don't have anything. And that is why, when we're around Jason, I don't know if he picks up on it, but when we're around him, it's just like he'll be like, "Hey, fellas, how you doing?" And we're like, "All right, Jason Colgan." Yeah, but that's that's no different. To how I used to feel at the Mountbatten Centre when Colin Irish rocked up or Alan Cunningham rocked up and we were sat in the bleachers like before the games and we were like, oh, that's Colin Irish from the TV. And you just feel the same. And then after you spent the whole season playing and training with Colin and he'd be driving me around in his big Merc after practice, afterwards, like, oh, yeah, Colin's picking me up. And it just, it all just normalizes. But I yeah. know what you mean. It's the same thing when, you, you know, when the basketball first started at Mountbatten Centre you'd have someone like Cal Patrick Wells this massive athlete or do you remember Dan Davis Dan Davis yeah and they're just absolute colossus everywhere you're like wow they're the guys off the TV yeah and yeah there'd be what a thousand people at the Mountbatten Centre at the peak yeah and it just transformed us because we were at that age where you just need heroes you need role models and it was all electrified by this uh, Channel 4 music videos Charles Barkley videos, Michael Jordan videos, Larry Bird videos. And it all just happened at the right time. And I was just right in the right place at the right time. It was a culture of basketball, wasn't it? Dazzling dunks and basketball bloopers. That Maybe <laughs> yeah. that was a little bit later, but yeah. Mm. Um, but you know what? We did uh, in the Portsmouth FC Basketball Club episode, I think it was something like, I want to say it was like 1250 was the, the maximum number of people they got in at Mount Batten section. Yeah, it was like with the balcony as well. The balcony as well, and it's yeah. like three deep yeah. at the back. Um, but look, we'll get onto that. So we have got the legend known as Jason Colgan. Um, and yeah, it was great. We we met Jason at someone's wedding. 
Um, shout out to Mac. How you doing, Mac? And um, ignore we being mentioned the, the We mentioned the podcast then. Um, yeah. You know what? It's funny. Every time I see Jason, it's kind of like I always feel a little bit like it's like you're talking. It's like and I'll, and how we it feels how we speak to him is like. Do you remember that time when you played for Portsmouth? Yeah, that ah, was awesome. Well, because it was an it was an awesome era. The whole thing was an awesome era, and I think because it was also new, and I think it all felt so magical because it was brand spanking new, right? In terms yeah. of on the TV, Mountbatten Centre, we never had a basketball team in the city that was big, um, and so we're all just electrified. And I think all what you're saying to me is exactly how I felt about Colin Irish. You know, Alan Cunningham, all those players. You're just like, wow. And, and culturally with the early, I mean, we were, we were saying about it when we did the Portsmouth one about being the 80s with the influence of America, mm. like American sports coming mm. to the, the UK. That was its cultural explosion on its own, wasn't it? Mm. So when that aligns with playing the sport, it, mm. it's you, you want to be a part of it, don't you? Yeah. And, and, you know, if you wanted to go and get a Chicago Bulls shirt, you couldn't. Because there wasn't any. No. The only time you ever got one was when somebody you knew was going to America and you'd be like, oh, please, if you can get. And then they come back. I mean, I remember my Michael Jordan shirt. I think I got when I was probably 15. And then I outgrew it in like about a year. So I cut the seams, got a black tea towel, cut it into strips, and I stitched it in myself because I just wanted my <laughs> shirt to last forever. But that's what you did because you didn't have a choice. You know, and I remember buying my first pair of Air Jordans, right? They were forty-eight pounds then. Bloody hell! Forty-eight pounds. Was that? They were the ones that were all black, didn't they? Have like a no, they a were red the, toggle. No, Is they were one? the ones. Oh, no, you're talking white, black, and yeah, red. Yeah, the very oh, yeah. first yeah. ones, white, black, and red. Yeah, forty-eight pounds. And I was thinking that's a lot of money. It's probably like, those days. It was probably yeah. two hundred. Well, I mean, now, I, don't, I don't think I'd spend forty-eight pounds on trainers now. I'd be like, no, I need to get some from like Sports Direct, a bit cheaper. So this, <laughs> we're we're talking. Probably Jordan's rookie year then. Yeah, yeah, Jordan's rookie year 84. was the year that I started playing basketball. So if ever you wanted to start a brand new sport, I only started because I was at the grammar school and uh, this kid, Dan Povey, had arrived, like, you know, normally you'd start at sort of 12. He arrived at 14. Well, he was, 50, uh, he was 15. He got dropped down here because his dad was an IBMer and he'd been working in the States. And he came over, British, and he's like, oh, I've just arrived. My dad's, I'll be, oh, how are you doing? He's in my class. He says, oh, do you want to play some basketball? I was like, what's that? I've never played basketball. He's like, oh, I'll bring a ball in. We're playing the gym. I was like, fine. So we played the ball in. And we just started playing basketball in the gym at the grammar school. And he lived on Hailing, way down Hailing, right down the, uh, <clears throat> down towards the ferry boat inn, not past Sina Warren, but that area, right? And so I'd cycle from Cosham along the motorway, <laughs> All the way down Hailing, spend all day in his back garden playing on an eight-foot ring. So we'd be dunking for like three, four hours. And that's like all the way back. Because that was the only basketball ring that I knew. And how old are you at that point? About 12, you say? No, no, no. I was about 14, 15. About 14, 15. Yeah. And then so dunking you came on, in late. Dunking on yeah, an eight-foot ring. Mm. Dunking on an eight-foot ring when you're like 14. Yeah, on his patio. That is like, yeah. that's almost like your own highlight reel, isn't it? When you're down that moment and you're like, I'm big enough, I can dunk on a ring. You're like, Yes. And then I don't I don't know how, but we were thinking, oh, there must be somewhere around where you can play basketball. And it turned out we've heard about the Mountbatten. 
So that's when we went down on a sun, uh, Saturday morning, 10 till 12, walked in and said, hi, can we play basketball? And that, that's when um, you know, Mickey was running it. And then we started going there. And then after a while, he said, I'll come down to the Portsmouth College night. So we started going down there. <clears throat> and, you know, and then the rest is kind of like history because then Dan dropped off. He wasn't really into it. Also, I think he didn't really want to come away from hailing when he had a ring outside his house. Um, and then we just, I just kept playing, just kept doing the Saturday mornings. Then Mick wanted me to play for the smugglers um, or pirates. I always get confused whether looking back. I should know. See, I remember Mick. He had it was like a whole Portsmouth youth setup. Yeah. Ending with the Portsmouth FC Basketball Club, and then like the next one down was the smugglers. The next one down was like the Buccaneers, mm. and then like, I think the babies were like the Penguins or something like that. Don't but follow us. Follow Portsmouth Buccaneers. Well, I think. What is it? Oh yeah, I think I think that yeah. was before. I think that was before I started. <laughs> yeah, a little bumper sticker. Dust that one off on someone's Yeah, and I, it was a buccaneer, buccaneer um, <laughs> spinning a basketball. Which Don't is why yeah. when they were going to choose the name for the force, it was like, are you going to bring that sort of thing back? Because there's a whole heritage there. Mm. Interesting. God, blimey. So you got to Mountbatten Centre. Yeah. And then, so what happens there? What well, side of the curtain are you on? Well, I think because of my age, I was on the big boys' side. And then I think I was, I think it was only about three or four years later that I started coaching the kids on the other side of the curtain because I was helping out Mick. Um, That'd have been us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and that's where I first met sort of, obviously Alex Byrne was running around, you know, tiny. Um, Martin Dowd was a couple of years, uh, I think he was one year younger than me. We all came in there, Mackers was there, Jason Bryant, lots of players. Um, but then, because of the Mondays at Portsmouth College, that's when we started playing local league. That's when it gets serious, isn't yeah. it? When you get a Monday. Well, yeah. that's because it was a, it was basically a men's league, wasn't it? So we'd all be rocking up as sort of 15, 16, 17. Um, Mick Byrne would like bring in a ringer. You, you'd be playing against the team and all of a sudden on your team, there's like a, you know, Colin rocks up or someone. <laughs> Colin Irish playing yeah. local league. Yeah, and, and the other team, but this isn't fair. Mick would be like, well, he's registered. It's like, yeah, it's cause, you know, you're running the league and you just registered him. Um, <laughs> and then, so we were in at the deep end as the juniors, but obviously it toughened us up because when we started playing National League, Junior National League, and we're going up to places like East London um, or Hemel Hempstead with some really tough, big teams, big athletes, you know, 18, they're just huge players compared to us. Um, you know, we, at least we've been playing against men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th those those Monday nights, we talked about it, that whole transition from just going from a Saturday morning oh, to yeah. saying you're going till Monday. Yeah. I was nervous, like, because he was already going with his brother. Mm. And he, you know, he just went along and I was like, I mm. don't know if I'm, he said, no, no, just come along, you enjoy it. When I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy this actually, because this, this has gone up a level. Oh, yeah. And then... That's when I realised actually how much I loved the physicality yeah. of being and, and became more of a defensive player because mm -hmm. I, I actually enjoyed that part of it. Oh, yeah. So it, it, that, I want to say, exposed where I fit it into a, a team mm. because you, you sort of think, I'm a shooter here because if I'm not a shooter, no one's going to pass me the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and you found that out quite quickly in, in that sort of, that little bit. And I think when I first started, I looked up to the men's team, which was not the possible because that hadn't started yet. So there were players like Keith Jin, uh, Alan Hamilton, um, who were like, again, like maybe two, three years older than you, than I was. But at that age, that's, that's an eternity, right? Just they're, they're the men. 
And so you, you wanted to be like them. They were your heroes. And then when the Portsmouth Football Club, when they bought Telford Turbos and then brought the whole franchise to Portsmouth, they had the remnants of the Telford Turbos team for the remainder of that season. And then at the end of that season, that's when they brought in the, like the first um, like fully professional team. That's when they brought in Colin Irish, um, Alan Cunningham, um, you know, taking on a serious challenge for the title. And then that's when it got big really quick. And that's when it was the year of Larry Dassey, Joel Moore, uh, Joe White, um, Eddie Fontaine. Big Joe White. Big Joe White, Eddie Fontaine, uh, Andrew Bailey, um, Trevor Anderson, you know, those sorts of players. Um, you know, and then the year, I think, yeah, and I think they won it that year in terms of 86, 87. And then I signed 87, 88, just out of the blue. So, I, I, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was capturing the juniors, cap, captain of the junior team. And then it was a summer, I just finished my A-levels, so I was happy as Larry, you know, free as a bird. And then Mick said to me, oh, uh, I've got something to tell you. I was like, what? And he said, oh, the Portsmouth basketball team, they want you to sign for them. I was like, really? I was like, why is that? He said, oh, because... John Deacon, the chairman of the football club, he wants someone from Portsmouth to play on the team. He says, and it's you, because you're the best player we've got. You're captain of juniors. It's going to be you. I was like, okay. <laughs> that was the first I'd heard of it. Oh, wow. And it wasn't because, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't because I was the best option for them, because obviously me arriving meant someone like Andrew Bailey, who was an excellent guard, um, you know, went because they only wanted 10 players. That's it. So John Deacon would basically say, right, I want 10 players and someone, from, you know, a kid from Portsmouth on the team, that's what's happening. Wow. So, so that was it. And so... Uh, someone for the city to rally around. Well, yeah, like, well, yeah you know, some of our... Exactly. Us, just like to, just someone, to have a connection. Yeah. Well, it worked because that's what we felt when we were yeah, like, exactly. hang on. Yeah. Yeah. And so... He I, was on a Saturday. And yeah, now he's exactly. Playing yeah. And you know what? As and kids, you see the trajectory, don't you? As yeah. kids, we saw saw you, and in the back of our minds, we were like, well, if he can do it, yeah, we exactly. can do it. Exactly, and that's exactly that's what, what it's supposed everyone to do. Said. Yeah. yeah. So how did you make that transition? Because that's, that's to go, from going from you've never played before, from four 14, years. 15, yeah. Yeah. four years later, you, yeah. you know, you're at that National League standard. And well, no, I wasn't at National League standard, right? I was f really fit because I've been doing lots of sport. I've been running up and down playing basketball with Mick. So um, it was mainly used my right hand. Yeah, I, I hadn't practiced my left much at all. Um, but I could just run and run and jump and jump and run and jump. That was it. And so I remember getting to pre-season and we did pre-season down at HMS Nelson. And I've walked in, and of course, I, I knew the players because they'd seen us play the junior games, hadn't they? And they were like, oh, how are you doing? I was like, yeah, good. That has got to be the coolest moment ever. You walk yeah. in and you got like, well, England players. It was the whole England team. <laughs> it, it was every single player on that team was either an England player or an American um, Pac-10 All-Star or an ex-Harlem Globetrotter. And then there was me. So in terms of a learning curve, it's like, oh boy, you know, I'm on it. And it was, Dan Lloyd's like, well, you know, we'll just do what you can. And I was thinking, right, all I can do is just give everything 100%, run and run and jump and rebound and just don't stop. 
and that was it. So my whole work ethic was I've got to be just on it the whole time, can't stop, can't give up, just keep running and just practice, practice, practice. I've got one year, because you know, at that age, I didn't think more than one year, because my <clears throat> folks at home, they didn't want me to sign. They were like, look, you got a place at university. I was like, there's no way I'm not signing. Yeah. And they were like, no, really. And I was like, no, it's not happening. I'm going to sign. I just go to uni next year. I'll defer. They're like, oh, okay. Obviously, after the first couple of games, like, oh, this is great. Um, but yeah. So, so I rocked up at pre-season. We did it at HMS Nelson. And pre-season was savage because it was basically, for me, I was quite fit. But I guess for the, for the guys, it's like, right, it's our time. You know, they'd relaxed all summer or whatever it was, a couple of months. Or, and they're like, right, I've got to get fit. And it was literally run and do the drills for me, literally, until I was sick. I'd go in the toilets, I'd throw up. Like, I wasn't the only one. Come back in and just keep going. And um, we did this one drill where... You, you remember playing at HMS Nelson? The floors are all really dusty, always dusty oh, they, and slippy. They still are. They are, right? So you know the big blue crash mats. You had to pair up in teams, in pairs, <clears throat> and you'd have to you'd have the crash mat at one end. You'd have to run, dive on it, so it would slide. Yeah, get up, run all the way back, touch the baseline, run up and dive and slide. So literally, you had to slide the crash mat the whole way to the other end of the sports hall, and all the way back as a race. And there was, a, there was a forfeit if you lost, like, you know, whatever, 50 suicides or something. So they're just so tiring. 50 suicides? They'd make you do that? Yeah, well, it's, it's like we've got to get fit for the, you know, if we're not doing it, someone else is going to do it. Jeez. You know, because they, 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 we were the British champions, right? And it had been a close run thing because you're always neck and neck with Kingston, always. And it was like, no, this is what it takes. And it's like, okay. And I remember, you know, first time I got dunked on, I think probably Steve Nelson. Steve Nelson was so happy because now he wasn't the rookie. Because <laughs> yeah, I, th I think he got a lot more, like, you know, rookie stuff on him than I ever did. <clears throat> and he was like, he's like, you're the rookie. And I, I, I think he dunked on me. Someone he's like, welcome to the first division. And I think he'd waited his whole life to be able to say that to someone because obviously he was the rookie <laughs> the year before. And I was like, right, okay, here we go. And then he was just doing the drills, doing the drills, doing the drills. Just don't stop and it was like two three hours a day and then um colin obviously was my you know the year before he'd been my hero he's like first practice like come on jay you're coming with me jump in the car we're going to do weights and he'd take me to oh i just remember where it was i think was it city gym which used to be opposite the fountain and commercial road there used to be a gym on the corner we used to go in there and he used to absolutely kill me with the weights. You imagine, I mean, Colin's built like a, at the time, like Lennox Lewis, right? He's like a heavyweight boxer. And I'm there and he's like, right, come on, do some bicep curls. And I'd just be, I'd just be, he just ruined me um, <laughs> in terms of training. And then we go then to the Holiday Inn because we had memberships there. We sit in the jacuzzi and relax and go home and I'd eat this massive bowl of pasta, potato and peas with brown sauce. You're trying to pile in calories. Because I have to wake up the next day and do it all over again. I think we did that for two weeks. And then we went pre-season tour of France, which got a list of the teams we played. Um, we played like the French champions, um, various areas. <clears throat> and then we came back and then the season started. Was the What were the crowds like in France? Was yeah, that, great. Yeah? Yeah, great. Yeah, nice big crowds. And the other thing was, you know, we're all these lovely coaches, uh, going around staying in lovely hotels i remember once we were with the guests of honor at some place you know some um city 
going in, there's a massive meal on for us, meeting the Lord Mayor, and then all this something. To me, you know, I just come from Cosham. So this is great. <laughs> You're a friend at home. I made the right decision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, about that deferring yeah. uni, Dan. Yeah, yeah. That was, that yeah, was the call. Cool. We yeah. might defer it one more year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. So at what point? So I'm going to go back. Because actually, it's funny you should say about the weights. Because I remember there was, I mean, even in, it, you built up quite quick. Yeah. Like I'm, your I'm, shoulders I'm and arms lucky, quite quick. I'm lucky in that I used to put muscle mass on really quick compared to other people when i was later on used to work at the gym um university of ports and sports department i'd have people coming in they do like four hours of weights i'd go in and do like 25 minutes and i just seemed to put on muscle or just 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 lucky in terms of genetically but yeah i mean how i looked at the start of the year compared to how i looked at the end of the year i was just transformed because i was just literally running and jumping and lifting weights the whole year two hours a day running up and down the court plus let's say an hour doing weights or skipping or doing lunge walks, dribbling around the basketball, uh, dri dribbling around the court through my legs, just trying to get my right uh, left hand half decent because I'm playing with the England team every day and we're British champions and you can't look crap, you know, just get on with it. So how much of the, like a training session, like how much, like a training day, how much mm. of it would have been, I want to say scrimmaging or and how much uh, of it would have been running drills, and then obviously, like you said, you're doing weights. Well, so we do our standard, always do our standard warm-up drill, the same one that you do before a game. Yeah. Then you might do 11-man drill for like 20 minutes. Then you go over your plays, work on the flex offense, wing-to-wing, backdoor cut, down pick, wing-to-wing, backdoor cut, down pick. Just keep going through the options. And then we had about four or five set plays for last-second shot, game delay. Do you remember the Georgetown play where where on the free throw line, you'd have two players either side just above the free throw line. And the guard would dribble to one side and the guy at the back on one side would pop out to the point, pass it, and then he'd backfill. You just keep doing that because you couldn't defend against it. There's nothing you could do to defend against it. And that would run out like 10, 12 seconds. And then we'd go, um, we'd do that play into something else. So that play would then, the guys on the foul line either side on the elbow would slide down join up and make this massive pick on whoever was low post you imagine you're trying to defend let's say Carl Tatum and like Colin Irish and Mike Spade come down and set a double pick on you you're not getting around that are you no so then they just flash the wing and we get the last shot so we'd spend let's say 20 minutes going through the plays then it'll be defensive drills defensive drills defensive drills on and on and shooting drills and we just do and, and obviously you know, Dan Lloyd at the time was the England coach. All the team were the England team. So I think a lot of the plays there were the England plays anyway, because when they used to play for England, they'd bring in like four or five other players max. But that was the, that was the core of it. Um, and then we'd scrimmage at the end, five on five. And then the last thing before you go, we do this drill <clears throat> where every, we'd do your normal sort of layup drill, but you'd be shooting jump shots from the elbow or the wing. And then Dan Lloyd would say, right, 10 in a row. So in sequence, you've all got to hit the shot. So if we get to like nine and I'm number 10 and I miss, right? It's like, Jason, come on, Jason. And we'd all have to go all around again. So it got to the point, they'd be like, Jason, you go first. So at least I'd get my shot. And then someone else would miss. So sometimes, you know, plus you're all tired. Yeah, and yeah. you'd be doing press-ups and your triceps are killing you. Um, 
you know, but you could, you know, you'd be pulling up thinking, oh, please go in because everyone's knackered. I'm going to get, you know, they're going to beat me up probably in the changing room. Um, but yeah, and it was like that every single day, every day, just, just so much work, so much effort. Everything was just, everything had to be exact on the money. Don't mess up, just play and play and play. And I think that, I think that's where I kind of got the idea Right, if you're going to have a training session, this is what a training session is supposed to be like. And then I think later on when I was sort of coaching, I had my own team, that was the standard that I kind of had. It's like an 11-man drill. You know, if you're the guy on the foul line extended on the side, you know, on the wing, you're the outlet pass, you know, you, you would never run away from the guard. You always go straight towards the guard and make it a short pass. So if I was running an 11-man drill and the person on the outlet pass was drifting up the court, like making the pass Going along. to the halfway line. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, you go back, you go. And so everything was exact. And just, that was it. There was no, you know, no second best was not good enough. You just got to run, do the drills, do it exactly. So yeah. when, when Paul said earlier about, you know, obviously making that transition. Yeah. What was the, do you think was the biggest step up that you had in, oh, in, in the game? Trying to use my left, right? Because oh, really? yeah, because I'd got by just running around people with my right hand, yeah. So my left was pretty crap. And I was like, right, I've just got to practice with my left hand over and over. I mean, I've been practicing with my right for four years, sort of thing, and shooting. Uh, I do remember one time in in a training session, I got brain freeze because Dan Lloyd was just shouting at me so much. I was getting so much. I actually pulled up and tried to shoot left-handed. I actually forgot what hand I shot with. That's how much my brain was cooked. Did it go in? No, no, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, yeah, so the biggest transition was using my left and then just practicing and just learning how to play your defense properly and learning the plays. Because there was only 10 of us. So when we're running the drills, learning the plays, it's five on five. So if I'm on the offensive team and I don't know the, the, the offensive set play, well, then I'm cocking up the play, aren't I? And yeah. no one's going to be happy about that. And if on the defensive team, and I don't know what's going on. I get caught behind a pick, and you know the, the other five score because it's always you know, every time you didn't train, it's always like right, first to five baskets, losers get a forfeit, like ten press ups or suicide. So you know if if I'm defending and I don't read what's going to happen, and I get stuck on a pick I should know about, and my team loses, well, all my team's doing suicides, so I'm getting it then. So I had to toughen up really quick, get thick skin, and I was like, all I can do is just give it everything, run as much as I can, jump as much as I can, learn my drills. I showed you, I brought in my piece of um, uh, this envelope, which I'm showing you now. It's like a brown a brown Yeah, just envelope a normal a a, A5 envelope. Where so I've, this is on the side of the court you were doing this? No, no, this is like after. I'd go home and literally on the basketball court, I'd have coins, five one-piece for offense, five two-piece for defense, and I'd literally move the coins on that piece of paper, going through the plays in my head over and over again. I'd run the flex play on that piece of paper till I knew flex. Georgetown, I'd do it. There was two other plays I can't remember, like Illinois. There was names of the plays, and I'd just go over it and over it. So the we're, next we're day, we're gonna have to get these plays for the Fury, Mark. What? What? Do you have a favorite play? Did you have a favorite play at that time? Uh, well, in terms of the offense, I just thought flex was brilliant because flex anyone can score at any point, and you just keep rotating round. It's just a continuous cyclic play. And every single pass, there's an option to shoot. There's an option to dish it on the guy um, down in the low post, opening up because he's on a pick. Or you got the guy coming in from the wing off the baseline pick right under the basket. And it just cycles, and it's such a great offense. Wow. There's a quote 
that is supposedly from you and the <laughs> way you're talking i think it it is it sounds about right and um i have no fact to back this up but there was a quote going around that you said mm -hmm. um training with the Portsmouth FC Basketball Club mm. was so hard mm. that when it came to a game, it was a lot easier. Well, in reality, the only time I ever got court time is if we we're up like 20, 25, 30, right? So, and bear in mind, every single training session, I'm playing with the England team. My team is the England team with a Globetrotter and two Americans, right? And they're the best team in Great Britain, not England, the, the British champions. So I'm running up and down with nine other guys who are the best in the business. And so in terms of effort, in terms of trying to improve, in terms of, you know, what other arena are you going to have that's going to yeah. improve your game if you buy into it? If you're like, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm not stopping. I think there was one, one time throughout the whole year where I'd probably, I'd probably been like beaten up smashed around in practice just because that's what it was I remember phoning and I thought I can't go in today I just can't do it and I remember phoning up Dan Lloyd said I've got a migraine he's like okay see you tomorrow and I was like okay see you tomorrow and then like you know, that whole day I was like right I know I've got to get over this you know you've got to go back and just crack on with it so I'm like right, okay that was it that was the only one time I thought oh, I can't do it I might have been like elbowed in the throat I remember once Rich Strong just doing training because I'm the rookie. I think I think I'd set a couple of picks on him, and he wasn't happy about it. So next time I'm drunk, he just elbowed me in the throat. Like <laughs> I'm not just like wiped out. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like this know. is mid '80s as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. towards yeah, like and I, and I just thought, just thought well, you know, I was like, I was like, what'd you do that for? He's like, do what? I was like, okay, <laughs> same. You know, it's like if you're doing a practice. Um, this is it makes me laugh because <clears throat> I've got this this quote that I found from Colin. I tell the kids that life's tough enough, so treat basketball for what it is, a game, and don't lose your mind in it, says Irish, right? That's what he's saying now, right? Back then, if I set a couple of picks on Colin in practice, he would just pile me out the side. <clears throat> you know, and if, I don't know if you ever got picks set on you by Colin, or if Colin ran into you, you knew all about it. I remember one time I got hit so hard on a pick, I was setting the pick, um, that I actually bruised my shoulder joint. And my shoulder joint was bruised for about six weeks. So every time I got knocked, it was agony. But that was it. It was just, I mean, that's it. That's what it takes. If you're the British champions and you're training to be the best in Great Britain, it's just like guns blazing. You know, if there's a ball on the floor, I've got to dive after the ball. If there's a ball that's gone out of bounds, I've got to dive out of bounds. If there's a fast break, I've got to sprint as fast as I can. If there's a rebound, I've got to jump as high as I can. I mean, you know yourselves, right? What other sport is there where... <laughs> Everything's so maximal all the time, right? So, like, if there's a rebound, everyone, if you're not going to jump as high as you possibly can to get the rebound, there's no point jumping, is there? Because someone else is going to no. get it. No, And if you've got a fast break, you're sprinting as fast as you can. So all the time during practice, everything's maximal. You're jumping maximal, you're sprinting maximal, you're chasing back, you're working on D, you're trying to get around picks. So it's just it was just a hundred percent the whole time because if it was if you weren't doing a hundred percent, you get rinsed. Dan Lloyd would be like, "What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah Why yeah. are you not putting the effort in?" Of no. course, I knew that I was the rookie, so I, I can't you know I can't be the one that's saying, "Jason, put some effort in." No, no, no. I've got to just do it all the whole time. So when you, no other option. When you get that bruising and stuff like that, like nowadays they'd have loads of physios and loads of things going on and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. What was it like back then? I probably just went home and just had like a couple of extra potatoes to man up. <laughs> 
Get on, get on with it because you've got to go back to practice oh, following that. I don't forget. I broke that. Mid 80s when <laughs> yeah, have an extra you, you had to be hard to play. Yeah. And That's don't forget, it. I broke my wrist, didn't I? Right? I broke my wrist in a game. Yeah. Um, so hang on, is this left or right? This was my left. Dad Lloyd okay. was like, Chase, you could have broke your right. At least then you could have practiced with your left. Um, so for six weeks, I had my arm in a cast. But I think I think it was like three days after I'd got my uh, broken my wrist, put my arm in a cast. I had my kit and I was back training. And I was like, I was just run up and down. Literally, just play. There's even the photo that was in the um, program for the uh, Prudential Cup final. You can see me hiding my cast behind me for the photo. So even with a broken wrist, I was running up and down, doing as many of the drills as I could. And then we got to Prudential Cup final, which I think was like December time. So I went up to the hospital, to the a and &E. I said, oh, I've got my arm in a cast, um, but we're playing at Royal Albert Hall. So I need you to take my cast off because I want to warm up and play. They're like, we're not doing that. I was like, well, look, if you don't do it, I'm going to have to go home. I'm going to cut it off myself because I'm not missing out. They were like, really? I was like, yeah, I'll cut it off myself. And, I'll, and what's funny is on the bus on the way up, because you know when you break your, I don't know if you, if you break anything, obviously the muscle wastes away, right? So in my head, inside the cast, my wrist is moving quite a bit. You know, it's like, oh, this is fine. It's all repaired. Uh, when I first broke it, the doctor said, yeah, it's, a, it's called a collar break. Your wrist will set straight. You'll never be able to bend it again. I was like, really? He was like, yeah. Anyway, that didn't happen. So I was literally thought on the bus going up to go to QA that I was moving my wrist backwards and forwards like loads. But when they took the cast off, I just realised I was moving like this. And like, there was all this sort of dead skin from like, you know, four weeks of running up and down a bus before oh. sweating inside it. So I went home, cleaned it all up, bandaged it up, went to practice the next day. I was like, Dan, I'm fine. He's like, you sure? I was like, yeah, look, I can bounce the basketball. And he was in agony, but I thought, I'm not missing out on the ball out the hall. And then, um, you know, there's only 10 players, so I'm picked. You know, I'm on the bench, I'm warming up, I'm, I'm shooting at the Royal Abbott Hall, I'm, I'm on the on the wooden floor. Um, and we all got the coach up there. And then I got a limousine back, because someone who got a lift up there in the limousine was like, oh no, I'm staying here. I was like, oh, any chance I can borrow the limousine? So yeah, take the limousine. So I got the limousine, drive me and my girlfriend all the way back to Portsmouth. I was crying the whole way because we'd lost. And the year before, which is an interesting story, is I'd gone up with Mick because obviously Mick was running the is part of the England setup. Um, so they said, oh Jason, they need someone to do the foul markers on the scorers table, and they need someone. And you've got a red sweatshirt, and they're all in red. Do you want to be on the foul markers? Take can you do the foul markers? I was like, yeah. So the year before, I was actually sat on the scorer's table. I had my, whatever, seven blocks, 17 fouls. And all I had to do was when the referee had a foul marker, my job was to put like, number one on, next one, number two on. Got to seven. I was like, all right, kick back and watch the, watch yeah. the game now. So I was literally courtside. And then the following year I'm playing. Wow. I was like, this is great. At the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. And looking around, I mean... Can you imagine a better place to play? I mean, there's bigger stadiums, right? I get that, you know, Madison Square Garden, whatever. But that's the Royal Albert Hall. And you look up and it's all the gold yeah, and the red. How many basketball, ga how many basketball games have ever played there? I mean, they can't. Yeah, how many people have played at the Royal Albert Hall at a basketball game? A lovely wooden floor in the middle. And then you've got all the seats and all the um, booze all around hey, you. Listen, MJ hasn't done it. No, exactly. Jason exactly. Colgan's done something. MJ hasn't. Yes. He's going to be coming out of retirement. Yeah. Don't tell him because he'll be like, I took that personal. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about 
NBA players. Mm -hmm. This is a moment that we definitely remember. And that's when you had the legend, uh, Detroit Piss and bad boy, John Spider Sally. Yeah. I remember when he came down, he, he, he wanted everyone to know his, his nickname was Spider. Yeah, exactly. He? I think he was trying to create his own legend right back then. Yeah. But um, I remember you playing him one and one. Yep. And I want to say, was it, was, did he say something like, uh, I mean, look, I, this is going back like 35, 40 years in my memory. <laughs> yep. But I want to say he turned around and said something like, if you score on him, he'll give you like a hundred pound or something like that. I don't remember. The only thing I remember <clears throat> is they wanted someone to play one-on-one -on -one with him or he's demonstrating. Um, so they obviously everyone volunteered me because I was captain of the juniors. And then I think I'd gone out and I was playing, you know, I was playing dude. He's like seven foot one. And at the time I was probably about no, six foot two, six foot three. Um, and he misdribbled and I went shook up <laughs> talking trash to John. So he looked at me, he's like, uh-huh. And then he just took like one massive step straight past me and I like did this enormous dunk. And he's just looking at me. I was like, okay, here we go, sort of thing. Because Dennis Rodman was supposed to turn up, but he hadn't turned up because, as we discussed earlier, you know, I think he'd found other things that he wanted to do more than turn up to a load of kids at a, you know, a little Mountbatten basketball centre. He'd found the ladies. Found the ladies. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so that was, you know, John Sully. Um, and he was massive. And I think... Although, was he seven one? Was he? Yeah, he was. Enormous. He was a tall he, guy. Yeah, and obviously, Mick Spade was um, sort of six ten. I think Rich Strong was maybe six eleven, and obviously Nick Burnover at Solent was like seven foot, wasn't he? So I'd seen big players, but just so quick, um, you know. And that, yeah, you know, he was an NBA player, you know. And they were they were the NBA champions, you know, a couple of years later, a few years later. And again, you know, for us at the Mountbatten Centre, the kids, because I was one of the kids. It was like, wow, these are the guys off the TV, right? With the music videos. You know, the Charles Barkley video, the Isaiah Thomas video, the Michael Jordan video on the Channel 4. And that was it. See, even in those days, we were looking up to Jason. Yeah. And I remember there was a picture because John Sally was going to be in the paper mm. and they brought you in. Mm. And I want to say it was John Sally who turned around and went, get that kid who is me. And I came and we've got that picture together in the paper. Right. Yeah. yeah. Remember that? And Steve's in it. And, yeah, and your no, brother. there's two, there's two yeah, it was, pictures. Wasn't, there's, it, wasn't it like looking down from the balcony and we're all there like looking up well, at the there's, camera? There's two pictures. There's picture and there's like, I don't know, say 30 kids in it. Yeah. Then there's another picture. It's just us three. Okay. Do you remember that one? I've got the picture somewhere. Yeah. I'll dig it out. Have you I, lost your copy? I, my mum might have it. Yeah. yeah. My mum might have it. But yeah, that's, I've got it somewhere. Uh, um, we need to get that up. Get out. <laughs> get out on the... You bloody wall! What are you saying? Me get up? Why don't I have a picture of you? <laughs> well, I have pictures of you from the youth. Well, uh, no, hang on, I'm, I'm going to say something that'll make you laugh now as well. Oh. Is I um uh, about Mike Spade? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> and look, this is again. This is what our generation think of that team. Mm. I saw Mike Spade um, in a gym, mm. um, and I kind of got in a jacuzzi. And it was just me and this other guy, and I looked over, and it was Mike Spade. And it was yeah. like, I was like, "Holy crap, that's Mike Spade!" Now, after a while, I realised I'm staring at this guy yeah. in the jacuzzi, and he's kind of like straightforward. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still looking, going, "That's definitely Mike Spade." Yeah. And Mike Spade's like nicest guy. I never said anything. I thought yeah. there's no way I'm going to say something. Yeah. I thought not after nice, staring nice at him for two minutes, like, "That's no. Mike Spade." Like, is it? Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that guy, if he ever bumps into you again, he'll be like, didn't I see you in a jacuzzi? No, it wasn't me. Absolutely yeah. not. 
I, you're the guy who just sat there staring at me in a jacuzzi. I, I want to say Mike Spade at some point was playing with, like, you know, helping out coaching yeah, yeah, the kids and he stuff. Yeah, because he would. And I remember him giving, like, a little knock, like a little little bump to me. Mm. It was like every bone in my body shook. Mm. He was a strong guy. Well, everyone was strong. Everybody. Because if you weren't strong, how, how are you going to D somebody up? How are you going to get a rebound? Yeah. You know, and we'd all do weights. And actually, just thinking about some of the squad now, I, I d only just thought of this because um, of I think it was Mike Spade. Some of these guys were in the NBA draft as well. Yeah, yeah. Colin, Colin got drafted. Washington. Well, I, I popped it on there. Yeah. Um, I'll show you the picture. That's the team there, right? And like Rick. So Jace Rich, is showing us this photo. A news cutting. There we go. I think that's from the Sports Mail. So Rich Strong, I think he was a Pac-10 All-Star. I don't know if he was drafted. But at the end of the season, guess what shooting percentage he had from the floor? Not free throws, from the floor. 67%. Wow. He was the highest, because he would just shoot these lovely little hook shots, baseline jumpers. He just had it down. He was the highest scoring, um, highest percentage shooter in the league. So, the, I mean, I think the one, the players that we always looked up, um, mm. up to as kids obviously Jason see Alan Cunningham there yep. you know former Harlem Globetrotter because you remember the reason why because when we had the warm ups right Alan would come out and do his Globetrotter thing when he running around swoop the scoop and you know, high five all the kids just entertainment 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 yep. and I just remember there was a time I said to you before we were launching this Peugeot 309 or 305 at the Leisure Centre in Chichester and like we're doing we're doing like a warm-up drill right and alan's thinking this isn't going well so alan's like look i'll just get in the middle make a circle just keep throwing the ball at me you know like, okay so all the team were on the outside throwing the ball in alan he'd be doing all his globetrotter tricks like all the fake passes all the you know fake one way do the other dribbling two balls and just kept the whole show going he's like save the day <laughs> so <good. laughs> handy when you because there's a there's a i know ian mcavoy's got a, a book on the history of basketball uh, and there's a picture in there of alan cunningham as a globetrotter in his really? in, in his globetrotter uniform yeah maccas must still have still have the book you have to tap him up and get it i don't think you can open a basketball a uk basketball book and not see alan cunningham yeah, and i think didn't he uh, he must be the most successful basketball player in britain because i think he like won the championship like eight years in a row with different teams but like everywhere he went they won the league so I think he went to, did he go to? Silent then Worthing, wasn't it? No, he went to Worthing. I yeah. think, did he play for Kingston for a bit? But literally, he, everywhere he went, that's that they won the league. So, well, so he's got to be, he's got to have the most He title. was a big guy as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was like six, seven, yeah. six, eight. You know, um, and again, always working hard. Like, you know, had a quite unique shot. It was kind of like way above his head. Um, and again, just really, really fit. Just really fit. And looking here, obviously Colin Iris, Mike Spade, but one of the ones who, who we don't talk about um, as much, but you know, huge fan favourites, Carl Tatum. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he was the England point guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm going back to being a little kid, but I just remember him being very quick. Yeah, yeah, and you know, really uh, agile. But also, he had really tidy fingernails. I don't know if you remember. So every time he shot, you could do this. Like, with his fingers would be like rubbing on the ball. Oh, right. Yeah, all you know, perfectly manicured fingernails. Yeah, just a lovely guy, really friendly, always looked after me. So when you're talking about that era of basketball, mm -hmm. for people who are, say, playing now or watching basketball now, mm -hmm. you're talking about a type of physicality in that game. Yeah. 
Hell yeah. And the actual type, although the game of basketball, although the game, and you know, we've seen over the years, it moves and some of the things we, we've talked about on here about three point came in in 79 and they mm. moved it and changed it and they added rules and stuff. But the, the, the way the game's played mm. physically is, has gone up and down in basketball, mm. hasn't it? Mm. But at that point, that was about as physical oh, if, as it gets, wasn't yeah, it? If, in if, the someone, 80s. if someone boxed you out, that's another kind of euphemism for elbowed you in the guts. Do you remember when people <laughs> used to box you out? Yeah, or someone take a rebound, they turn around with elbows high and just like yeah. clock you on the chin with a with an elbow. And it's like, well, you shouldn't shouldn't have your chin there, should yeah. you? Yeah. Well, Mick Mick always taught well always taught us. You get the rebound first thing, elbows out, swing yeah. your elbows. Yeah. I mean, you get probably chucked out now. If oh, you, you get your ejected. Yeah. yeah, if you clock someone in the chin with an elbow, you get ejected. But that was like you know, and it was in, t in terms of. The kind of mentality at time it's like well you know if you if someone's got their elbows out it's because you, you can't get the ball off them so that's just the way it is so take, take, literally take it on the chin and get back and play some d well i said before about non-contact what was it you said that it's not a non-contact sport it's a something what was that description um, but it was a, a really nice way of putting it as that it's not a non-contact sport basketball's never um, non-contact i've said a few it, it it's be. the most it's the most contact non-contact sport there yeah. is i mean you imagine right going for a rebound and that's the you know i'm showing the picture of the team and those 10 people are jumping for the rebound and it's yeah. non-contact are you kidding me you'd never see so much contact in your life and if you got the ball you come down there's even more contact people trying to rip the ball off you but that, that was that was just exactly how it was you know so were, with it. were players here um, more offensive, defensive in the roles in that respect? Or did you find that, you know, uh, it was more about well, the positional? I think because we had the flex offence, right? And you have to have patience in terms of you keep running the flex offence. It's a cyclic play, wing to wing, backdoor cut down pick, wing to wing pass, backdoor cut down pick. Every time you go for that cycle, there was about seven opportunities to score either someone pick, setting a pick so you've got the guy coming off the pick receiving the ball or after the pick opening up and hopefully you know you're open you've got the guy catching the ball at the elbow he's open so the idea was you just keep running the play and in practice we'd all practice shooting from the spots that you're going to get open on flex so it wouldn't be like this place set up for colin to score if it's like you know, last second possession and we've set up Georgetown into Illinois and Collins getting the shot, then that's what's happening. But otherwise, everyone's there playing. You know, and if you're and if in training, if we run the flex offense and I come off the baseline pick and I am open, then I have to shoot the ball. Otherwise, Danny be like, Jason, what's the point you've been in the drill? If you don't want to shoot the ball, why be in the drill? Shoot the ball, you're open. It's like, okay. And obviously if I shoot it and it goes in, great. If I miss, I'm getting abused. It's like Jason, come on, we're gonna do this. Because you know, if if you know if in that five on five, if it's the first to five baskets, if my team lose, we've got a forfeit, we've got suicides. Because everything's competitive. Because everything has to be competitive. Because if there's not a forfeit, someone's gonna slack off. The first American we had was a guy called Kenny Stansel. Do you remember Kenny Stansel? He was a big, like six ten uh, American player. And cut a long story short, he he wasn't. You know, he, let's just say he wasn't energized. He'd be quite happy just chilling, doing nothing. And he lasted about about a week. And then I think they had another American came in. And he, he stepped off the train at Portsmouth Southsea Station 
and lost his foot and broke his ankle. <laughs> so he went back. And then I think Rich Strong rocked up. And Rich Strong was a great player. Like really tidy, you know, really clean, just just ultra, ultra efficient. We just shoot his little hook shots, baseline jumpers, just didn't miss. You know, like I said, 67%. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, that's as good as it gets, isn't it? But you're also, but also in terms of the game, like fast break. I mean, you know, Roy Lewis, lefty, England player again. There's no way you're going to stop Roy Lewis doing a left-handed layup because he, yeah, you know, he's, he's just ultra good at doing his stuff. You know, me, uh, if I get a fast break, I've got to tear down and try and score a layup. They're not going to give me the open shot in a game. I remember when we did like a pre-season game against, I can't remember what team. I think it was the first game I actually played in in terms of a game and Dan Lloyd put me on. The first time I came off a pick, I was open. So I pulled up and shot a bank shot and went in. And Dan was like, okay. He's like, oh, please, you pulled up and shot the shot. I was like, well, I knew if I didn't, I'd get told off. So, you know, if you're open, shoot the ball. Because otherwise, what's the point of being on the team? Yeah, and if you have a mentality of everyone, work the offense and go through all the options, whoever is open, shoot the ball. Then everyone crash the boards. So take us through that moment. Then you've been on the team. This is you've been training. Basket. You mm. go out and you're like, Jace, on you get. And then they give the ball in. And then. But I think because you just drill, 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 so drill. So you're in drill. that flow already. Well, it's just, it's, it's just all, it's like that's what you have to do. You come off the pick, because in practice, you'd run the flex, right? If you come off the baseline pick and you come round and you're on the wing and you're open, you get the ball and you're wide open, turn around, set yourself up and you shoot. You know? Are you getting goosebumps when that goes in? Like, that's my first shot. Uh, I think I thought. Probably thank let's phrase it. Thank goodness that went in. Yeah, probably went through my head. <laughs> Actually, lots of people say that it's more of a relief, isn't it? Yeah, it's got in. Yeah, yeah, you're off the mark. And I remember, I mean, remember when I started warming up at the Royal Albert Hall. Right? You know, people sort of walk on before the drill started. It's like right, first shot. And I think I shot. I think I like a big clang. Get it? And like, maybe get a bit closer. You know, you sort of warm up and you sort of make your way back out. And then. Um, Obviously, when the music starts and the actual warm-up starts, we had the introduction coming through, and like, everyone's pumped. It's Royal Albert Hall, you know. And if you got an adrenaline rush, you can just sort of jump two inches higher than normal, sort of thing. You just flying in, trying to dunk it, do whatever. Because I, I knew the chances are I'm never going to get on the court. You know, who, who are they going to take off, put me on? Like Colin, off you come. I'm going to give the last second shot to Jace. It's not going to happen, is it? So you know, I'm I'm, I'm on a hide into nothing. Train, train, train. If I get on court, I just run and do layups. So remember, I got a dunk. Do you know if you remember I got a dunk at the Mountain Batten Center National League game? Yeah, I, I do actually remember. Yeah. That was the end. I want to say it was the end where everyone comes in, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I was actually stand. I yeah. was sat with my mum because she was yeah. like used to look after the, the door. Yeah. And she let me sit by her mm. for that game. Yeah. And that's when you did the dunk. That's how I remember. I can yeah, clearly. Yeah. I can visualise that. Yeah, and other times I think I've got a couple of fast break layups um, or I might hit a jump shot just literally in the flow of the offence. But because because all you do in practice is do the drills, if you if you run the drill and someone's open, you shoot the ball. And if it happens to be you, great. If it's someone else's shooting, you're all crashing the boards. It just becomes automated. Everyone needs to know what they're doing. Everyone box out. Everyone crash the boards. If there's a fast break, fill the lanes. We do that. Yeah, fill the lanes. If you're running down... You know, you've got your wings and you've got your centre lane. If you don't fill the lane, you mess everything up because the offence runs out of that fast break. If you get down there and the point guard, for whatever reason, holds the ball up and the two wingmen cross under the basket and come out, well, that's the start of a new offence. So we all know what we're doing. So it'll be fast break into Flex or fast break into Georgetown. 
So everything's automated. You've got to learn the plays. Everything's scripted. Because if you freestyle, you mess everybody up. Yeah. And Dan's going to take you off. If I went out there and started like messing up, he would take me off straight away. What's the point? This is the British champion. You can't go out there and not know what you're doing. Yeah. Do, do you know, I couldn't help this pop in my head when Jason's talking. Do you know what I just popped in my head? Jason should be the Portsmouth Fury coach. No. I've done my, <laughs> I've done my, uh, I've done my coaching. No. And that's, that's the other thing. I think when I did have my own teams, whether it was Portsmouth Panic Local League or when I was working at university, I set up Portsmouth Fire with a junior team because that whole summer, because running a team is expensive, as you guys probably know. Um, so I'd gone and got some sponsorship because they had the sports match thing with the government where whatever you raised in sponsorship, they would match. I think I think they still have something still going, going on something that. Like that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think I managed to get about like three and a half grand, which they doubled to seven. Um, Luckett's Travel, so Andy Luckett oh, tapped yeah. up Luckett's Travel. So they gave us, a, gave us a deal where they did the transport, which is a massive part. Um, and I got the university to sponsor me as well. And obviously we didn't pay for the home court because it was the University of Portsmouth. Um, where was I going with this? Sponsorship. No, coaching. Oh, so good coaching. Um, so I think, you know, any, any team that I was the coach for, I just did all the drills that we did at Portsmouth. So not only was I learning how to play and learning how to, but I learned all the drills. And I was like, and people were like, why are we doing this? I'd be like, well, because these are the best drills you can do. How do you know? I was like, well, because the England coach told me. And the England coach taught me this. So if you know more than the England coach, you crack on. Otherwise, you're doing my drill the way I say it, or you can go. And that was my mentality. In terms of a coach, training sessions, I mean, they're all quite strict. Otherwise, it's chaos, isn't it? Yeah. And especially with kids, it gets dangerous. If you've got kids jumping, for layups, there's other kids standing under the ring, or there's balls rolling around. You remember, like, yeah, you know, it's the ball loose, everyone shout ball, ball yeah. and everybody stops. Yeah. That's it. Just the basics. Um, so yeah, I've had my fill of coaching. Thanks very much. Uh, Was that I, thanks very much for accepting it, or no? Oh. Thanks very much for for the nice. invitation. The, we'll, we'll get it's, you. It's an open offer. It's an open offer. It's, it, yeah. it's we can, always there. We can write a, a little contract on the back of this. It's fine. So Must have something up. I know this is a, a lame question, mm. but when you get into that Portsmouth team, mm. do you get your own kit and that's yours? Or oh, at one point, yeah, you go in, right? You get your own kit, you get your own tracksuits, right? And then every two or three weeks, I was given a brand new pair of Converse weapons. Oh, nice. Wow. So by about January, February, I've got a pile of Converse weapon shoes in my bedroom, a pile, probably like eight, nine pairs. I get to Halifax, right, for an away game, and I've realised I've brought two left shoes. <laughs> so, you know, and you're the rookie, right? How are you going to break that? So I was like, uh, Mike, he's like, what's up, Jay? I was like, oh, I've brought two left shoes. He's like, you idiot. I was like, Mike, can I borrow one of your shoes? So for that game... I don't think I got on. I was warming up with one size 11 and one size 13, 14. <laughs> Walking around with one flappy foot. Oh, did, did, did everyone, anyone find, did the coach find out? No, I, I think, I think I, that's probably the reason why I asked Mike, because he probably like, wouldn't be like, you know, you tell someone else. If I told Steve Nelson, ah, rookie, it would have been everywhere, wouldn't it? So that was it, yeah. And just mentioning the contract, you're saying that is, this contract here, this is your contract. Uh, well, when after the this is the first version because after Mick said to me, "Oh, the Pompey team, they want someone to play." He says, "You've got to turn up to Fratton Park, meet the chairman, 
and talk through your contract. I was like, okay. So I've gone into Fratton Park, like, oh, here, I'm here to see John Deacon, the chairman. They're like, yeah, he's up in the chairman's office. So I've gone up there, I've knocked on the door. He's like, come in. He had a time slot, obviously. He said, oh, Jason, come in, nice to meet you. He said, I'm John Deacon, I'm the chairman. He says, I'm, you know, signing you now. He says, so, right, what's your name? Where do you live? So he's written, literally, that's his handwriting. He says, right, so, uh, right, we're going to pay you like, 75 pounds a week. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant, Mr. Deacon, really appreciate that. And if we win, and we won a lot of games last year, says, I'll give you an extra 25 pounds. I was like, oh, that's very kind. Thank you very much. And if we win a major championship, I'm going to give you 400 pounds bonus. If it comes second, uh, you get 200. I was like, oh, thanks very much, Mr. Deacon. And if you win the league or cup or whatever, same thing again. Major competitions in the league. I was like, fine. He says, let me just write that down. He says, uh, so, Jason, uh, how do you feel about that contract? I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> he says, right, sign there. So I signed it. That's his signature there. John Deacon, yeah, look, yeah. that's his signature. That's it. And then, obviously, I got a typed up one. But literally, that was in the, probably, August. So I've come out of there with that piece of paper, thinking, I'm a professional basketball player. I've just been into the ports of football. What is going on? And it's like, right. And then I think it might have been Colin walked in. I think Colin got a better deal than I did. Ah. <laughs> and then, uh, so that was it. Yeah. And I'm walking home. I'll probably, I might have even like cycled home. I don't even, don't even remember how, because I didn't have a car. I bought my car at the end of the season when he wrapped it up. And they said, oh, the chairman wants you all to go in um, to round up your contracts. Uh, the story that was presented is like, he's not, he's not feeling too well and he's slimming things down. So I've gone in there and he was like, right, Jason, so we've done really well this season. We've won the league, so that's 400 pounds. So we came second in the Prudential Cup final. That's another 200 pounds. He says, you've got, uh, is it, he said, oh, Jason, is it like seven or eight weeks? Oh, no, I don't know. He said, look, bear in mind I'm 18, right? He said, if I just write you a check for 1,300 pounds, you can go and cash it. How's that? I was like, that sounds very nice, Mr. Deacon. So I literally... He signed the check. I went and cashed it and went and bought my first car. Oh, nice. I got sort of the paper out, looked for like a Volkswagen Beetle, saw one just over the hill, went over and bought my car and insured it. So that, that was the end of my season. That was great. I loved it. Wow. We got to ask. It, Do you remember the registration on that Beetle? Well, yes, because I got there and the registration was JCG463 hours. Like, oh, this is my car. That was it. And I spent the whole summer racing Macca's had his Sirocco. Do you remember Macca's Sirocco? GTI. Uh, uh, I'd okay. have to see it. Yeah. I'd have to see Jason, it. He's Jason, the car nerd. Jason Bryant had a red Ford Cortina, which was, you know, like brilliant red. And we just spent the whole summer just driving around to the South Sea, just you know, enjoying ourselves, kids with cars. It was great fun. So what is that? That So when you went in to see John Deacon, that, yep. is that, he's basically gone, that's it. This is all done. Yeah, he said, that's 89. He, yeah. yeah. And like, was he like, did, was he no, winding he, up? No, he said, I'm paying everyone off now. I'm winding up the club. That's it. And I was like, okay. And for me, obviously, my my narrative in my head that I'd sort of said to my folks was, you know, I've deferred my entry for university. So I thought, oh, the club's folded. It didn't even occur to me to go anywhere else and play. I mean, I was like, well, i just go and do my... Because I think it was going to do my degree because I think it might have been Dan Lloyd. He was sort of saying to me, oh, you know, what's your plan? I said, well, I've got this deferred entry for university. And I think it was Dan Lloyd said to me, yeah, remember that. You're only one injury away from oblivion. That was the phrase. You're one injury away from oblivion. Blimey. No more sports. You know, pop your knee or whatever. And I was thinking, yeah, that's true. A bit heavy, isn't it? 
No, but, it, but, but, it's, but it's true, it isn't is, it? Yeah. You go from that guy you go came f- off the train, broke his leg, bam, yeah, like done. You know. Oblivion. Well, that's a Oblivion, word, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought, right. So so I went to Birmingham, um, and basically I was supposed to do chemical engineering. I only said chemical engineering because when at the grammar school, it's like, right, you're all applying for university. Where you're going? And I didn't even occur to me to go to university. And the guy sat next to me, my friend Chris. I was like, Chris, where, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Birmingham to do chemical engineering. I was like, what's that? He's like, you know, you work on oil rigs and make loads of money. I was like, okay. He's like, Colgan? I was like, oh, I'm going to Birmingham to do chemical engineering. So, okay, so that's what I, that's what I applied to do because you know, I hadn't even thought about it. I got to Birmingham. I lasted till the Christmas, just larging up, partying. I had the worst attendance on my course, came back. I dropped out because I wasn't enjoying it. You know, who wants to work on an oil rig? Not me. Um, so then I switched to do psychology at Portsmouth, which is then when I got to study there, got the job at Portsmouth, the sports desk as a sports assistant, setting up the badminton. Then James, who was the manager, he took a year sabbatical, so I got seconded in to be the manager for a year. So I was in charge of all the sports. And at the same time, I ended up playing for British Polytechnics team, and we were British student champions. Um, and obviously I was mega fit and so oh, and when we were playing at Portsmouth the year I played the England under 19 team came down and Dan Law said oh England under 19s are training here today he says I said you can join in and I was like oh great so I joined in and I had uh, I played obviously I was, I was playing really well and there one guy coming down the lane did this massive dunk and obviously I went up and I blocked it completely sent him straight back down the key he sort of looked at me and I was like, well, you know, because, you know, at that time, you know, I was quite up for myself. I was like, well, this is, this is my home. This is the Mount Batson, you know, this is the only territory I've got. And at the end, the guy, the coach said, look, I said, I never, didn't even know about you. He said, if I'd have known about you, I would have picked you for the England team. I said, don't worry, coach, I'm playing with the British champions anyway. I'll get by. <laughs> he was like, yeah, fair enough. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. So that was it. But I just got to go back. Sorry, I've knocked my drink over. I got to go back and ask the question. I know there's lots of talk that Deacon wound it up because there were the football guys, players uh, all, weren't a fond I've got no idea. Of the all I, or you guys, no, or some people making more so, money than the football side or something. I don't think so. I mean, I know Colin was getting a good whack, right? But I think compared to the footballers, I don't think it was any better or any worse. Obviously, the footballers. Whatever narrative there was going around, all I knew was that it was being wrapped up because John Deacon wasn't well. And he was slimming things down. That was the only story that I heard. But he he always came across the way you talk about him, like a nice well, guy. Yeah, I only met him a couple of times because most of the time it was Brian Deacon, his son, who ran the kind of he was the kind of connection with management. So he'd come away with us on the coach. This was the era of the, the big battery briefcase with the phone on top you know looking like it's been coming out sort of you know, nazi germany <laughs> yeah. big sort of siemens technology so he'd come away so our only connection really with management so to speak was um brian deacon um yeah i think i probably met john deacon twice one when he signed that contract and two when he gave me the check at the end of the season you know going buy yourself a car kind of thing so yeah the rest of the time no i think i spoke to um well, I think I Googled it, that he wanted to move the franchise to Reading, but it didn't work out. And so they just mm. handed the franchise back to the, the league. Yeah. And it all just, just evaporated. Yeah. And that's what I mean in terms, in, of, in, in, yeah. in terms of, 
it was just that golden moment of me being in the right place at the right time with John Deacon saying, no, I want, I want a kid from Portsmouth in it. It lasted sort of two glory seasons. The season before was good fun in terms of us watching kids with the sort of Larry Dassey era, that sort of thing. And then it, yeah, and it's literally as quickly as it came, it just went. And obviously there was, you know, then I went over to sort of play for Solar Stars, etc. But I think what was different at the Portsmouth Football Club, those two years that I was kind of around it when we won and I was watching as a fan and I was on the table, it just seemed at the time really glitzy and really professional and really sparkly. And we were all, you know, we were all just in awe of it all, weren't we? Mm. And it was all just, oh, this is amazing. Um, all the lights going out. All the lights going out. Coming yeah. On for you and guys Alan Cunningham coming, coming out doing his swoop the scoop thing and, you know, and all, and, and all the intros and everything else. And at the time, it was like, it was the best thing ever. And then it just evaporated in the same way that it just suddenly arrived when yeah. Telford Turbos came down. So it was just like golden era. Um, and for me, I was just in the middle of it, just lapping it all up. You know, and at the same time, my game was improving like every day because I'm playing with the best players in Great Britain. I'm playing, you know, my coach is the England coach. Colin Irish, British Player of the Year. Alan Cunningham, Globetrotter. You know, Russ Taylor, England. Roy Lewis, England. Carl Tatum, England. Everyone was England or an American. Like really good quality. So, so, so where was the awards ceremony for the, the league, for winning the league? Uh, we won the league in... Halifax in terms of the actual game ah, okay. and we all we all leapt into the swimming pool <laughs> with champagne <laughs> which you know I can think it's not, it's not exactly uh, it's not too glitzy is it a swimming pool in Halifax it's not quite Saint Tropez is it in my mind it's like Monaco and then but... we had the actual presentation I've got another clip in here as is that one there look as I think the presentation itself was at the Mountbatten Centre and the one year that I'm on the team, that we win the league and get our med medal presentation, right? We didn't get medals. We got this hideous glass etched paperweight. Oh, what? I was thinking, really? I want a medal. I was like, no, we're doing something different this year. Literally oh, no. a glass etched paper. It's like, really? The question is, do you still have that? Of course I do. Of course I do. Is that That's pride and place on the mantelpiece. No, yeah? It's probably in a box in the loft somewhere. <laughs> that's probably what it is. I mean, you. I, I'm just looking in the background to see if I can recognise. I know. I thought. Kids. I thought you guys might have a little peek. You might be like, "That's me." Yeah. Because we're all there on the bleachers, aren't we? Oh, it's it's the it's the picture. This picture, where you look at it and you can see like the bleachers. Well, well I'm in the background there, sat on the bleachers halfway up with Maccas. I think you guys might be there as well. So that's the year before with the Adidas kit. Yeah, you see the Adidas kit. And the yeah. other thing with Mickey Byrne, he always kept all the kits. So I don't know if you ever went round to Mickey's house and uh, yeah. Gosport, you go into yeah. his garage, and there'd be like all these bags of all these kits that he's kept, you know, and then every now and then he just gives stuff away because he, he didn't didn't have any room. He'd have like 500 basketballs in there. I'll take a couple of basketballs. These ones are fine. Um, that was a really cool kit, actually, that Adidas kit. That was really nice. That was a nice kit. Yeah. So, so you, you see, never got to keep your own kit. You I, I kept my kit. Yeah. In terms of the end of the Portsmouth team, yeah, I kept my kit. Everyone kept their kit um, because the team folded, and it was like everyone's taking their kit. Yeah. yeah so I've still got my my kit. You still got that? Still home. got still got the basketball. We need a frame. You need a frame. Yeah, you got to frame that. You got to get out. I'll put, it, I'll put it in my bathroom. Oh, you you no, have to you have to send me a picture of it. Yeah, 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 for sure. It. 
Yeah. Do, do, you want it, do you want to have it there for a, a period? <laughs> well, yeah, this, we'll uh, hang out. This is this got given us to, by the Ports of Force that signed jersey. That was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we're gonna start creating a sh like a, what were you talking about? Like a I was gonna say a shrine. Like a you have to get some called? coat hangers hang from the rafters. Get <laughs> some rafters in. Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, we should get every time our numbers get to like forty thousand, fifty thousand, and. Oh yeah, fifties round the corner, like Mark. a like a championship sort of banners, but we use it as a as a mm. players' jerseys. But that, I mean, so you <laughs> the, the season that, that you you could win a chip, you got a glass thing instead. No medal, yeah, I got a glass paperweight. And you got. A, Sorry, it's not are you the only person from Portsmouth who's got a BBL medal? Yeah, the winners. I think medal? in terms of the um, Premier League, yeah, it must be. Yeah. Because no other team... I can't played. think of anyone else. Solent Stars played in the Premier League. I don't know. I know uh, we won the Founders' Cup in terms of local league, but I don't, I don't think anyone else has won the Premier League. I, no, I don't think they are. I mean, I there, there's some professional... There's definitely some professional players from Portsmouth, but I don't think mm. anyone's won it. No. Um, no. And, and You're the only one in the city who's got that medal. It is. Or... Glass, paper, glass, glass weight, and glass that, lump. Yeah, and, and exactly that weight. Look I think at that, Mike Spade there with the base of the, tr uh, the yeah, base yeah. of the cup, and then is that is that glass? Is that like a glass one? Oh, I, like I can't the, remember. All the kid, the kids are trying to grab it as well in this. Yeah, photo. yeah, but that's the thing, right? And I think the other thing about basketball at the Mountbatten Centre was there was no disconnection between the team. Oh, do you remember once Steve Nelson, Dan Lloyd were on the were all on the bench, right, all the team. Dad Lloyd's gone, Steve, you're in. So Steve, you know the rip-off bottoms, tracksuit bottoms? He's pulled it off, but he's forgotten that he hadn't put his shorts on. So he's just so he's back he had, he had a sort of jock strap on. Oh so his backside, his face and the entire uh bleachers, you know, it's so funny. Oh, like, God, what did he do? I, quickly Well just you know, he's trying to stumble to get him back on and try and go back to the change room, get his shorts. Yeah. Oh no, but, he didn't he didn't sub back in. But yeah. where the where you have the bleachers at yeah. Manhattan. And it was very much like, um, for those who've never been there or listening abroad, it, it was almost like, I want to say like a high school would be nowadays where you have bleachers either side, but it's so intimate. Oh, you're one metre away from the team, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. And so when we were there and it would mm. be like, um, you guys are playing and th it your was brother... Prudential, wasn't it? Prudential yes. like boards, but they were like wooded, like hard wooden ones, yeah, weren't I they? Think, yeah, they were hard wood, um, but you'd have the literally the seats by the side of the court like, you know, one foot back from the sideline. Well, let's say two feet back from the sideline. Then you have one row of chairs with the team on it and then maybe a metre. Then there was, there was the, that was the, the team and us as the kids because we'd get there early to get the best seats because they weren't reserved seating. You just got a seat and that was it. But that was part of the magic is that the fact that, I won't say it's not making yourselves obtainable, but like you said, when, when the team came in, you were all interactive with the crowd and you, mm. you, you were there, like you were present in the mm. room. So we all just felt like we were connected to the team and you almost got behind it more because it's like, these are real players. And then you teach us on mm. another thing. And then like when you used to go to the camps and, mm. and you know, you was like, hey, I got offered a pair of to buy a pair of shoes for 20 quid. It's like, uh, yeah, now we know where the shoes came from, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never sold any shoes. One just no, you just forgot me, because uh, obviously we also played it in the Karach Cup, the European Cup, and we went to um, Czechoslovakia. Um, place called Bruno, and we arrived there. We got held because it was still Russia at the time, so we got held up. Uh, we flew to um, 
Vienna. We got held up at the Czech border for no reason whatsoever. Um, and then we got to Brno, so this Russian town, city. And we were all walking across the town square to go into this like classic Russian hotel. And there were like old ladies who obviously, they'd just seen us all colorful walking past. They're literally dropping their shopping with shock. They'd never seen anything like us kind of walking in. But then we played, the reason I'm telling you, we played the game and the crowd was so intense and they actually had netting around the oh, wow. outside of the court to stop people throwing stuff. Oh wow, and the people, so people would throw stuff. Oh yeah, it's just, yeah. And uh, so in terms of like an intense cauldron, they'd like be, areas be roped off. Oh wow. So they couldn't throw stuff. You've so put, obviously European crowds are European crowds, right? In terms of basketball, it could be you, crazy. You've put 8889, around 8889, that, sort of, that sort of timing. No, that was that was the year I played. So that was 87, 88. Oh, I see. I'm mean, 88. So that is pre-Berlin Wall coming down. So that's pre-communist. Yeah, yeah, it was Russia. So it was Russia. Was communistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. I'm f- yeah, wow. I'm, I'm thinking like Rocky. You know, Jason is Rocky Four now. I will like, break in you. Russia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like everyone's going. If, if he scores, he scores. <laughs> and at the end of the game, they're like Jason, Jason. Yeah, I think that's just in your head. <laughs> um, so talking about the away crowd thing, because I know. We've talked about this many times um, that the European crowds are almost like more like football crowds. Yeah, because we also played pre-season in France. We played the French champions. I think we played four or five teams in France. This was pre-season. Um, yeah, just big crowds. Because basketball has been massive in Europe for a long time, which is, you don't have to look at the Olympics to see the teams that have done really well in the Olympics. Um, you know, the British team didn't do well in the Olympics for for ages, um, but it's just as popular as football, and obviously the court's so much smaller than a football pitch that even if you get a half decent crowd around a basketball court, it's really intense, and they're normally in smaller arenas. So yeah, it's, it's you know, really busy. Why do you think in Europe it's been adopted so broadly? <laughs> Probably one because yeah. it's warmer. So you can play outside more. Well, you wrote down on on your notes. Jason, by the way, gets the gets the award for the first person. Most organised. Most organised. Bring us notes for us to yeah. reference. Well, I gave you a timeline because I'm 55 and I forget what happened. That's how extensive his yeah. history is. But you actually put on one of your notes about outdoor no outdoor courts. No, the only courts that we knew growing was, up, there was one round by a kind of garage off Elm Grove. You know, you, so, you know, in South here, every now and then. You get like a little pack of sort of six garages and a yeah. little alcove. And then one of them had a basketball ring at the end. So we knew that one. And the only other one we knew was Franton Park had a little wooden gym at the back. Yeah, and the wooden used, gym. And as juniors, we would go down there, climb up over the wall into Fratton Park, climb in through an open window, and then play basketball all allegedly. afternoon. <laughs> allegedly. Um, and it was a, it was just over a badminton court long, maybe in badminton court and a half, and the rings were right on the end. We'd shoot around. I remember one time we were playing in the winter, and it was so cold, we had our gloves on, and you could see our breath because it was so cold, and we played oh, wow. there for a few hours, and we'd all climb out, sneak out, and go home. That, that was the only place you could play. That was the wooden court, wasn't it? Where it was yeah, yeah. like proper wood floor, yeah, yeah, unlike really Mountbatten, which was the most it, savage floor so of the planet. It must have been their little sort of weights, sit-ups, dumbbells gym. It was never, you know, it was literally yeah, just a little a, gymnasium. basketball rings in there, wasn't it? Yeah. I want to I want to say this is probably, like, going back that long, I want to say where the, um, so if anyone who knows Fratton Park, if you think of the North Stand, 
Mm. It was like behind the north stand, wasn't it? And think, the path uh, that you walked. No, it was behind the Fratton end, I think. No, no, because you used to you used to you should be able to drive a car yeah. down the side of the. Oh, it might have been around, yeah, maybe that alleyway. You, you should drive long, yeah. a car down the. Yeah. Oh, sorry, whoever would drive would drive down that alleyway. Yeah. None of us had cars at that time. I don't think you could go all the way through. So if you went and then you had to reverse back. All right. Um, yeah. But yeah, but Mickey Byrne, he had a key to yeah. actually get in there. Right. And I think he shared it. I think he. I think he got shocking, a few cut. But um, yeah, I just I know um, like my brother and mm. Steve. Um, probably Mac as well. They would all go down yeah, there, have around. this key from Mickey Byrne yeah. and unlock, bam, yeah. they're in the gym. Yeah, and you feel like you're royalty, right? So, you yeah. Know, Fratton Park, this is something else. But that's all knocked down. That was knocked down like, oh, yeah. like, like I want to say in the 90s, wasn't it? Probably. It's got to be. Yeah. Actually, that would make sense if it was by, I think the access was by the North Stand, but mm. maybe it was sat behind mm. the Fratton end. But just the fact in all of Portsmouth, there wasn't a single basketball ring apart from one above a garage in Elm Grove that no one knew who it belonged to, and it was you know, just a rickety old ring half hanging off, or you had to break into Fratton Park, that was it. There were no other rings. There, yeah. there was at our school. Yeah, schools you could jump over. But yeah. unfortunately that burnt down the year after we got there, which mm. was the one in the, the sports yeah, hall. Yeah, burnt down. And yeah. uh, it, was, it was one of the old school, nice wooden floors. Yeah, And uh, your brother had gone, obviously before me, like, teeing us up, like, yeah, it's mm. really good there then yeah burn down because i used to go into hybrid junior school and shoot on the netball rings because they'd always be there uh, in the playground okay. just shoot the netball rings that was it that was your choice i actually made a basketball ring um full height with full backboard and i used to literally bring it out my house and then um get a bike chain chain it to one of the lampposts at the end of the street then shoot there all day it was all on wing nuts and break it down and take it back into my house. Is this where my brother got the idea for to do that? Because he like, literally got us, him and Steve Ware got a scaffolding yeah. board. Okay. And did the same thing. Yeah, I had two, two uprights, the board and the ring, and I'd break it down with wing nuts, take it indoors. Yeah, because if you want to play basketball, yeah, you can dribble anywhere. But if you want to shoot, you gotta get, you got, if you haven't got a ring, make your own ring. Yeah, I mean, basketball is massively sharp. Now, you go to a park oh, and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's... it's everywhere, which is great. Yeah, I think that's really in the 90s that started mm. you know it yeah because adidas remember the adidas um, yes yep. was it three ball two ball uh, with the little mats and alex didn't alex win like the british national championships at wembley got to the final do you remember the little mats where you, you placed them around the court and some were worth five points some were worth three points some were one points and you had i think you shot 15 shots and you could choose which mat you ran to to shoot from and then whoever got the highest total I think it was called three three ball and there was a cassette that came along with it you play the cassette with like 30 seconds she had 30 seconds to shoot oh that would have shoot. been the uh down, definitely down, definitely down, definitely adidas because i remember i end up nicking the mats i don't know where i got them from i, I, think. I don't remember the mats but I, rem I obviously remember the outdoor rings that they put up everywhere because yeah, yeah. yeah. adidas spent a, a lot deal. of money on. oh yeah except for the fact it was like man there's a ring over there isn't it yeah it a big well deal. the only problem was one they often still had the old netball courts, so they were gravel, mm. which would mean you'd slide everywhere oh, and then yeah. cut yourself Miami off. Miami Vice yeah. music. I bet it was the Miami Vice music that they <laughs> I played. Remember. I bet it was because that was a, that used to be like the three-point competition, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. Yeah. And I think it had like the last ten seconds was the countdown. Yeah, ten, nine. You know the drill. Well, um, I think I think some of those Adidas rings are still up, mm. but they they're very pingy. That was the only yeah, yeah. bad thing, wasn't it? That if you didn't get your shot on, mm. um, which were most of mine, they they would just 
that'd be out out, you, the, out there. You blaming the ring? Yeah, no, just my talent well, or lack of. Talking of courts, yeah, well, the Mount Band Centre Court it was horrible. For well, I was going to say that. Oh, tiles! It was as hard horrible. as possible, wasn't it? Well, it couldn't get hard. It was like ceramic tiles. It was like playing on a bathroom wall. It was horrible. <laughs> in terms of, in, like, just in terms of your joints. So when we were training. I think we had about four different courts because obviously you don't you don't want to practice on the same rings all the time. You don't want to practice on the same floor. So we played, I think, maybe at Temeraire. We played at um, maybe HMS Nelson. We maybe had a session like uh, there was another wooden floor because if you're running two hours a day every day, if you've got a nice wooden floor compared to running on ceramic tiles, obviously your knees aren't going to wake. And some of the players, you know, they've got to look after themselves. They've got, yeah. You know, you've got a lifespan as an athlete. Um so yeah, most of most of the time we practice on wooden floors. Do you remember when they used to put the green mats down at the Mountbatten Centre and they used to tape up all the mat? They literally had a green matted floor they put down and they um, taped it together. So the Mountbatten, rather than having all the badminton courts and all the other lines, it was just a green court just with basketball lines on. Do you remember I that? Re- I don't remember. I don't so remember it was that. like a it was, it was like a, a carpet then. Yeah, it was it was it was a roll. There was about three rolls. So you'd have one wing was one com- complete carpet, the middle was a complete carpet, and the other wing was a complete carpet, and they'd have an elastic tape holding it all together, and it was just taped to the Mountbatten tiles. Someone else has mentioned about a rolled out... Yeah, the mats. Mats that they do yeah. still nowadays. Obviously, they may be different, slightly different material, but fundamentally... Yeah. And, they, and as juniors, they we used to... If, if it was out there, we'd play on that. We'd be like, wow, look at us. We're playing on the map. This know? is it. No this badminton lines. Mm. That's what we want. No badminton lines. Yeah, I, that Mount, Mount Batten court is brutal. I remember um, this was National League Div 2. Mm. And uh, a guy went up... Um, one of... A Portsmouth player had it right in front of the, the mm. Portsmouth bench. And... Um, Portsmouth player faked a three. This mm-hmm. defender jumped. Hey, I mean, this guy jumped high. And our guy, um, it was Owen. Uh, it was one of the Teasdale brothers. I think it might have been Owen. Mm. Faked and then drove around him. Mm. And as he drove around him, this guy was still flying in the air trying to trying to block him. And he caught Owen's shoulder. Mm. And he came down. As he came down, it, it was he had his hands out in front of him to stop himself. But it was really weird. As as he kind of hit that court, mm. he landed, and then his face right on the court, and he was mm. literally in front of the bench, mm. and he moved his hand away, oh. and his front two teeth fell out. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, like just blood everywhere, front Man. two teeth. Well, I landed like, on that court, and that's when I broke my wrist. Oh. Oh, yeah. but that was the court that you broke yeah, on? Yeah, that was the court I broke my wrist. There's no giving it. No, no, at all. Yeah. That was it. And I looked down, my wrist is like, Looking, thinking, oh, that shouldn't be like that shape. <laughs> you know, that was it. Six weeks of running around, and I think at that time also, I think I might have been and the cast on. I think Sam Stiller. Do you remember Sam Stiller, the player Sam Stiller? He rocked up for training, and I think that they were considering whether to bring him in. So we had oh, ten okay. players, and luckily they didn't, because otherwise that would have been me done. You know, eleven players. I'm not on the bench. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. That is the end of this part. But do not worry because coming soon is the second part of this episode and it will be available soon.